I run for the crown, I race for the prize, I press toward the upward call of God. I run for the crown, I race for the prize, I press toward the upward call of God. I fight with all my might to keep on living for the Christ. I know there is a glorious end in sight. The crown of life, the crown of victory I shall wear. I sing the song of triumph till I'm there. I run for the crown, I race for the prize, I press toward the upward call of God. I run for the crown, I race for the prize, I press toward the upward call of God. I fight with all my might to keep on living for the Christ. I know there is a glorious end inside. Sing the song of triumph till I'm there. I run for the crown, I race for the prize, I press toward the upward call of God. Today, I want us to ask a serious question and be honest with the answer of it. And the question is, can we state this statement? By the way, this statement comes from the Psalms, and we'll get there eventually, Psalm 25, but let's take a look at this first together. In you, Lord, I put my trust. Can you say that honestly? You know, I hope that we can learn throughout our lives to be able to be the type of people who can truly put our trust in the Lord. Let's take a look at several passages, both from the Old Testament and the New Testament, that tell us kind of why we need to put our trust in God, how we can put our trust in God, and kind of what this is, the importance of it, really. Let's take a look at it together. In Jeremiah chapter 33, Jeremiah is one of these great books that, that uh, he just kind of, every once in a while, he'll get a glimpse into better days that are coming in the future. And in Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 16, we read this, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days, and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous savior. So whenever you look at this passage, it starts off saying the days are coming. Now, Jeremiah wasn't really told when those days are going to be coming. And, you know, we have so many different ways of, of counting time and thinking about time. You know, I want you to think about all the different ways that we have to count time. You know, we can count the, the small amounts of time. Uh, for example, even while I'm recording this video right now, I see this clock that is going, that is keeping up with the amount of time that I'm spending. Another thing about time we have these nice little things that we put on our watches, don't we? And what's the purpose of them? The purpose of them is to tell time, to keep up with time. Now, it doesn't necessarily keep up with days, although some of them do have those features. I never get mine to set right anyway, so I, I don't ever keep up with that. But maybe you do. And, and you know, we oftentimes, let's face it, we live in the days, we, we pull out our cell phones, we look at them, and we see, you know, what day it is if we're going to be writing out some date. We look at calendars, too. Once again, we pull out our cell phones, we look at, at those calendars, and they mark the different days that we have. And we see that, that every time that we write 
the date down. We are writing, like, for example, this year, 2021. We only have a few more times of being able to write that date, don't we? But that year actually goes back to the time of Christ. There, there's so many things that we have that has changed with Christ. In the passing of days, it can remind us of these things. And here in Jeremiah, he was looking forward to the coming of Christ. But now we look back to the time of Christ. I love the fact that we live in a time that is, you know, 2021 AD. That means in the year of our Lord. See, we can look back and we can see a time whenever this passage was, was fulfilled. And of course, you know, we, most of us at least who are Christians, we look at this passage and we see through eyes of faith that its fulfillment is found in Jesus Christ. He is the one who came, who is part of David's line. He is the one who has called this righteous branch. And that doesn't mean that he's, you know, kind of like uh, an, an offshoot, so to speak, that is just going his own way and, and a different, you know, whatever like that might be. What it means is he is this the shoot that is coming from the same tree, the same trunk, the same stock that David came from. And David, he was told that there was going to be a descendant that was going to come from him and that great things would come from this descendant. When you start looking at the things that is connected to this branch, this descendant of David's line, it says that justice is going to be with him. You know, he's going to be just. He's going to be right. Uh, righteousness is mentioned there. And then in verse 16, righteous savior is described there. Once again, all these things we see that Jesus has helped us to see them. And Jesus himself, of course, came from David's line. Now, we have to go a little ways in David's line before we start seeing some great news. Because even in, in Jeremiah's time, I mean, keep in mind of when Jeremiah wrote. He wrote in a time that they lived whenever the kings that came from David's line started going off, doing their own things. And in fact, Jeremiah lived in a time whenever God sent his people into exile. The, the righteous people into exile. Well, they weren't righteous at that time. But he wanted them to be. He wanted them to be righteous. And if they had put their faith and their trust in God, they could have remained righteous. But they were putting their faith and their trust in something else, in someone else. But David's line, we have this promise. We, we have this promise that was given that something great is coming. Jeremiah knew it. Now, that something great didn't come immediately because if you keep looking like even with Solomon, you find out, yes, great things came through him, but he wasn't really the great one that is going to come from David's line and is going to bring everything back to the way it's supposed to be. We read this passage from 1 Kings chapter 10. Now, this is the queen of Sheba and she's talking to King Solomon. And she says, she said to the king in 1 Kings 10 verses 6 through 9, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. When you look at this passage, she actually praises the king a, a whole lot, really. But she also keeps it in focus. And she mentions that last phrase right there. The whole purpose why Solomon was placed on the throne was to maintain justice, to maintain righteousness. That is what he was supposed to be doing. And we see that, you know, as far as, Financially speaking, as far as physically speaking, oh yeah, 
everybody was doing great in Solomon's day. That, that's what this report is. In fact, the report doesn't even tell the half of it. That's what, what Queen uh, of Sheba says to him. But you know, even among this, when we live in a time whenever we have all these great blessings, like I would say that in many ways we have experienced a lot of great blessings in our own country, similarly to how Solomon brought great blessings to the country that he was ruling over. But can we truly find justice and righteousness? Can it truly come from a man, even from the king himself? Well, yes and no. The way that it can is like through Solomon or through other people who do maintain justice and righteousness and how it's supposed to be. But ultimately, it's not going to come from a man. Justice, righteousness, they're not going to come from men. They're not even going to come from a king. Justice and righteousness, they will, however, come from God. Going back to this phrase again, in you, Lord, I put my trust. In fact, let's take a look at this phrase together. In Psalm 25, beginning in verse 1 and going through verse 3, In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come to those who are treacherous without cause. By the way, this psalm, you might notice some of these different phrases because these phrases have worked their way into some of the songs that we sing, haven't they? The first three verses of Psalm 25 tells us why we can put our trust in God and, and why we should put our trust in God. If we can put our trust in God, if we can put our faith in God, then we will not be put to shame. We will triumph. All these great things have been and are still continued to be given to those who follow and put their faith and their trust in God. So this tells us why we should. But now, how do we actually put our faith and our trust in God? Well, to answer that, the psalm continues. Verses 4 through 7. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior. And my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you, Lord, are good. This passage tells us how. When you look at all of this focus, the focus is how we can put our trust in God. We can put our trust in God by asking just like the psalmist asked in verse 4 and then also in verse 5. He says, teach me. Teach me your path. Teach me your ways. Teach me your truth. Guide me in this truth. You are my Savior. You are the Deliverer. That's what the psalmist is saying to God. Can we repeat that as well? Can we say that with our own lives? Can we honestly, sincerely ask God to teach us his ways? Well, you know, in order to get that, we have to open up the Bible. We have to read it. We have to learn the ways that God has, has given us. We see from the examples of people who have, who have lived before us, and we can also be living examples of, of what it means to be sitting at the feet of God and learning the ways of God, the paths of God. We also see another interesting thing going back and forth in verses 6 and 7. The psalmist says, remember, Lord, your great mercy and your love. Those are great things, aren't they? But then he kind of backs that up with verse 7. Do not remember my sins. Well, you know, a lot of this does go back to 
What are we going to focus on? You know, what if we did the reverse of that? What if we ourselves only remembered the sins that we have committed and we failed to remember the great mercy and the love of God? What is that going to do to our lives? What is that going to do with our relationship with God? It's not going to go well. We aren't going to fare well. And that's why this, this psalmist is asking God, God, remember who you are and don't remember the bad things that I've done, but show me your ways. Teach me your ways. Guide me in your truth and teach me. God is our Savior. God is the only one. And we find out that the psalmist even goes into greater detail about the Lord's ways in the next few verses. Verses 8 through 11 now. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his ways. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. So look at the ways of the Lord. Learn from him. Let him teach you his paths. We've already saw in the last slide that mercy and love are connected with God. We also find out in verse 8, good and upright. Verse 10, loving and faithful. And in verse 11, we see this appeal for forgiveness. This appeal for forgiveness. Our God is a forgiving God. See, these are the ways of God. Good, upright, mercy, love, faithfulness, and forgiveness. And we, of course, have experienced that forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And, and God loved us so much that he did send his son, Jesus, so that we can have eternal life, so that we can have forgiveness of our sins. See, these are the ways of our God. These are also the ways of Jesus, aren't they? In fact, Jesus made a statement that he said, I am the way. And he most certainly is the way. And we as Christians are following that way. Now, let's, let's look at a passage from the New Testament where the Apostle Paul is going to write to the church that, uh, that is established in um, the, uh, well, it's the Thessalonians. Sorry, Thessalonica. Um, that church right there. Whenever he is writing to them, listen to his excitement, but also listen to what he says that they all need to be doing and he needs to be doing as well until the Lord returns. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 9 through 13, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. This passage right here is telling us, what we need to be doing until the Lord returns. See, until he returns, let's make sure that we can follow the way of the Lord, the way that he has placed for us. Let us follow his way. Let us follow his pathways. And here in this passage, we see words such as joy and faith and love and holiness connected with our God. So we see all of these words. We see the words that we've seen before. And I want you to think about what all these words mean in light of what God has shown us time and time again. In the examples in the Old Testament and the examples of the New, we see that our God 
is a wonderful, loving God. He is merciful. He is willing to forgive. Let's make sure that until he returns, let's follow the way of the Lord. Let's follow the way of Christ. And let's repeat the words from the psalmist in Psalm 25, verse 1. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame. That's not just a, a, a asking God to do that. In fact, this is actually kind of part of a promise that God will do these things and he will help us. But we need to put our faith. We need to put our trust in God. Have you done that? More importantly than just have you already done that, will you continue to do that? Because that's the way of the Lord. Turn to me with all your heart. Return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful and relents from doing harm. Turn from sin, my children dear. Return to the Lord your Yeah.